Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. All right, so as we're looking at the wise men today, um, you know, out of all of the people involved in the, in the narrative of Christmas, the wise men are my favorite. Like, I'm, it's hard to say, man, that they're more, I don't, you know, you can't, you can't uh, quantify or qualify is probably the, the better word I, I should use, why you like something, you know, you just like it. And it's like, as I was thinking about this, I started feeling a little bit guilty. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. The wise men are, are your favorite, like even more so than Mary and Joseph, because, like, they're the really, come on, man, she carried the Son of God. And I'm like, I know, and that's important. Like, that's really important, and it's at the center of everything. But I don't know. I just like the wise men. They're my favorites out of that whole narrative. And there's so many things that we don't know about them. So I guess there's a little bit of an intrigue there because we don't know a lot about them. We don't know how many there were. We don't know uh, if it was three. We know there were three gifts. We don't know if it was three or if it was, you know, six, 12, whatever. But as we look at these today, I pray that we can see uh, some things through them that'll open our eyes to who God really is. Like the song that we sang earlier, open the, I, I'm praying that God will reveal to us himself in a way that maybe you've not seen him yet. And I don't know about you, but I like to know where things are. Like, I, Shay will come into my office, and she will move stuff around on my desk, because we share an office at our house. And so she's got her own little area that I, I went in, and I made this an office, and I, I built her own little area, and over here I built my own area. And I'm like, this is my area, that's your area. Do I ever come to your area and go, she really didn't mean to put that there. She meant to put that there. And let me just put this in a drawer under here. I'm like, I never do that. I never do that for her. But for whatever reason, she understands where I want stuff. And I'll, I'll come back in there and I'll go like, hey, what happened to the whatever? Like I had a little screwdriver and I tested her this week. I tested her. <laughs> I tested her. I had this little screwdriver, and um, so I left it in the kitchen. And so I'm like, she's got this little uh, feather thing. Now, who needs a little feather thing on their kitchen counter? I don't know. But she wants it there, so if she wants it there, I'm good with it. So I'm like, I'm going to put this screwdriver, it's a little, a little tiny screwdriver, this little screwdriver on her special feather thing. I don't know what it is. But I'm like, I know she's going to walk in and she's going to see my screwdriver on her little feather thing and she's going to go, that's not where this belongs and I'm going to go put it. But I'm like, I need that for later. So instead of taking it back out to the garage, now I didn't need it for two days later. <laughs> but, I, but I left it there and I don't know, you passed the test. 
I don't know if you passed the test because you intentionally passed it or you just didn't notice it was there. I, I can't imagine she did not notice it. But so, so anyway, the point being, the point being is I, uh, Wesley and Caitlin were over at the house the other night and they needed a, a little screwdriver. I mean, it was a little tiny. It was so tiny. And I said, oh, I got my screwdriver. I knew I was going to need that. See, I didn't know, but I, I knew. And I said, I know where that screwdriver is. As I'm going to the kitchen, I'm thinking, she's moved that screwdriver. And I'm, but I'm just going to check. And I went there. I was so surprised. She did not move the screwdriver. And I found the screwdriver, and it worked perfectly. All right, so here's the point to that. Don't you hate it when you're searching for something and you don't know where it's at? Like that is something that you, you hate it when somebody's moved it or if you can't remember. But it is such a good feeling when you find what you're searching for. We've all been in a place in our life before where there was something that we, were, that we knew, I left this here, I know it was here. And somehow, somewhere it got misplaced. But what a glorious day. What a happy day when you find that thing. So today as we're talking about the wise men, we're going to look at them because here's the thing about the wise men. God is, I want to share this with you and I want to share it with you in the light of seeking today. We're going to talk a lot about seeking. So God is seeking those who are seeking him. So as I speak to you this morning, everything is going to flow back to this one point. God is seeking those who are seeking him. There's, I've already read one of these verses to you this morning when we started out. In Jeremiah 29, 13, God says to his people, you will seek me me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Think about this now, with your whole heart. He He places some conditions on it. Like, you can't just go looking. Like, there are times where I'm like, Shay, what did you do with my fill in the blank? Because she's always taking my stuff. And she will say, it's right where you left it, Rife. And I'm like, it's not here. I'm looking everywhere. And she's like, are you sure? I'm looking everywhere. Where is it? I need this. So here she comes into the room, and she's like, it's right here. Like, well, I looked everywhere except there. (laughs) You have to look with your whole heart. Like, when we're certain, like, what does that mean with our whole heart? Scripture says that we're to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the Lord is saying to us, you'll seek me and you'll find me. And the condition is when you do it with all your heart. And then Jesus, when he was talking to the woman at the well, remember, he said something very profound. He said, the time's coming, lady. Because she wanted to talk about religion and all of this and where we should worship and all of that. He said, the time's coming. Indeed, it's here right now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. In other words, 
The Father is seeking people who will worship Him in spirit and truth with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all of our heart. God is seeking people who will worship Him that way. Wonder what He wants us for. I know what He wants us for. But wonder what He wants us for. What does He want Paul for when Paul seeks the Lord with all his might? What, wonder, wonder what he wants from Harold when Harold gives himself completely and is like, God, I'm fully yours. Wonder what he wants you for. Like, I know in a generic sense, but specifically, what is the purpose that he has for you? Why is he going to put you in front of certain people that he's not going to put rife in front of? And then there are people that he's going to put rife in front of that he's not going to put you in front of. What is it that the Lord is seeking me for and you for when we search for him? And here's the, here's the beautiful part of that. He says, hey, I guarantee you, like when you seek me with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're going to find me. When people tell me, and you got to be a little bit careful with this because sometimes people don't want to hear this. When people tell me, man, I just can't hear God. I'm like, God speaks all the time. And they're like, I, I don't hear God. I don't sense God. I'm like, dude, I sense God watching an underwear commercial. I sense God in Christmas Netflix movies. I sense God in a country song. I sense God like, dude, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. Like, if God, if you don't hear God, and here's where you have to be careful because they don't want to hear that, something is like wrong on your end. It's not on God's end. Like, people are not crying out to God and God going, ooh, 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 let me get over here and hide. I hope they don't see me. I hope they don't see me. Holy Ghost, be quiet. Don't say a word. God is not hiding from us. If anything... God does that hide-and-seek dumb thing like we do with our little kids. Like, Daddy, let's play hide-and-seek. I learned real quick as a, as a young dad, oh, you can't really hide. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah, come on. You know, because we get competitive and we're going to hide. They'll never find us. You're right. They won't ever find you. <laughs> I mean, they will literally, you're right here. And they're like, I don't see them anywhere. <laughs> see, we... Women, we start off that way as children, and we can't find it. The thing when you're playing hide-and-seek with little ones is you got to almost make it obvious for them, don't you? It's like, Daddy, where's Daddy? Where's Daddy? You're hiding behind it. Your pot belly's sticking out from behind the curtain, you know, and it's like, there you are, Daddy. I found you. It's like, dude, you didn't find me. I revealed myself to you. I was standing right here in the open. You know, anybody could have found me. That is how our God is. Man, if you're seeking, if you really are seeking him, I'm telling you what, he is not going to make it hard for you to find him. He is going to reveal himself to you. Start asking. Oh, I'll hold that to the end because that's actually where I want to end this thing. All right. So look at this. Shepherds went to see the Messiah, but the wise men went seeking the Messiah. Let me just break this down for you for just a second. So the the shepherds went to see the Messiah. They already been told that he's over there. They're like, hey, 
We want to let you know today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. Like, we don't think, we're, we're not telling you he's probably going to be born. He's already there. So if you want to, you can go see him. It's a done deal. It's already done. But see, the wise men, they weren't from Israel. They were from Babylon and over the Persian Empire. They were, they were foreigners. They weren't from the Middle East. They were from the Far East, the Orient. And so they weren't, they were Gentiles. They're not Jews. And so they're reading all of this in, in their version, what they had of the word of God. And so they're like, let's go see if this is true. So they don't have any proof. They just start out seeking help. There's a big difference there. And it's not to diminish what the shepherds uh, experienced. They're just coming from a different route, so to speak. Look at this one. The shepherds came because they were invited, but the wise men came because they were intrigued. The shepherds came because they said, Behold, he's born. He's over there. Go find him in Bethlehem. If you want to, he's over there. They weren't told you got to go, but there, there was the invitation. The wise men had no invitation. The wise men were in the word. We know they were in the word because they knew that there was a star. We know that they were in the word because they knew where he would be born. They, we know they were in the word because they were wise men in Babylon in the Persian Empire, they were there probably under the tutelage, the maybe students, so to speak, of Daniel. Because Daniel, remember, he never went back to Israel. He never went back to Jerusalem. He actually stayed in the land that he was taken off. And he was very wealthy. He was very prominent. He became a, you know, a great influential leader in that government. And so the, the, uh, the pagan king put Daniel in charge of all of the wise men, the magi. The same word for magi there is the, uh, the I guess, the component of it, uh, the corollary of it, you know, the synonym, I guess you would say, in Hebrew. So in Greek, we're reading magi. In Hebrew, the same word. So the wise men, Daniel... The king put him in charge of all the wise men. These are scholars. These are prophets. These are uh, astronomers. They're scientists. These are people of great knowledge. And so these are people from that area. So we know that Daniel remained close in his faith with God. So they're probably learning a lot of uh, scriptural things. They knew that there was a star. They knew the area that he would be in. And so they have no proof. They just have what they have in the word. Remember last week I asked you, can you celebrate it before you see it? See, they're celebrating. They're getting ready to celebrate, and they have never seen anything like this before. So they get their stuff together, and they're going on this trek because they're intrigued. Now, why were they intrigued? Well, because the Savior of the world. No, I think there's something more specific. I believe this is what God showed me, and I want to share it with you. So let's look at Matthew chapter 12, uh, 2, verses 1 through 12, and I'm going to share with you what I believe intrigued them about the Messiah. 
what intrigued them about this coming king. Okay? So, verse 1, everybody there? So Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, who was a wicked king. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. Let's just stop right there. All right, so I'm just going to unpack some of this stuff. I don't know if it's going to like mean anything to you. It's just fun for me to unpack it. When they were going to see this king, I mean, these are smart men. These are, these are the highest intellectuals in, in the time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, these are not dumb guys. They're not riding with their legs dangling off the back of the potato truck. They, they, are, they are keenly intelligent guys. All right, so you can still be smart and have book smart, but no common sense. And I'm not saying that they didn't have common sense. I'm just saying Herod's reputation preceded him. He was an evil king, and everybody knew it. And so wise men who are going looking for a king. Now, kings would, like Herod even killed some of his own relatives to maintain his authority. Like in those days, they would knock off even sometimes their own children if they had to, to maintain their power. So this was common knowledge, yet the the. Wise men go to talk to a knowingly ruthless king to say, hey, where's the new king that's going to take your place? I don't know about you, but that does not seem very wise or smart to me. But here they go. They're going. Here's another thing that, uh, that I love about this. Like, so, so many times we in the Christian world think that everything has to be picture perfect for God to be moving. I saw that in the last election cycle. I saw that people let their politics get in the way of, of God being able to move. Listen, right here, this is what I would tell people. You understand Jesus was born uh, in the time of occupation, right? Roman occupation. Like, Jesus was born into a time of a ruthless ruler. Like, his party wasn't in power. Or You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just kind of giving you a, a, an idea. Yet, the Savior of the world came into creation and the planet when it, there was so much political unrest. Listen, my friend. God is on the move, and God is doing something, and it does not ever matter who is in power. It never matters who's in power because God really is in power. God rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, uh, you know, under the rule of a wicked king. God did so many things under the rule of pagan kings. God is on the move. And so that's interesting to me about the wise men. It says, where is he? We saw his star as it rose and we've come to worship him. Oh, you know that had to rub Herod the wrong way. Because nobody worships anybody except me. I'm the king. 
I'm the king. I'm the one that you kiss the ring. I'm the one that you worship. They would worship pharaohs as God, even though he wasn't a pharaoh. But they would worship the pharaohs as God. They would worship their kings as gods. And you come into my courts and say, you've come to worship him and you've not come to worship me? You also know that they were people of great authority because he would have had their heads on platters. Do you understand? Like if they had been nobodies, many people believe that those three uh, wise men were three kings. Well, we don't have any biblical proof of that. You might find some extra biblical you know, writings about that. But, in, but we don't know. But we know from just the fact that he didn't cut their heads off or imprison them that these were people that were at least somewhat equivalent in stature to him. And then he begins to say this. He says this. Verse 3. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. At, this bothers me. This next part bothers me. As was everyone in Jerusalem. King Herod, I understand why he was disturbed. But everyone else in Jerusalem... That's disturbing to me. That's disturbing to me. Like, why was everyone in Jerusalem upset at the arrival of the king? Why were they upset? Why? Because I'm just here, they were more interested in their rule than his rule. Man, come on. If we look at this in the terms of the everyday us, sometimes, well, not sometimes, a lot of times, often times, we are more concerned with our desire than his desire. Our rule than his rule. Our will than his will. There's something about man being totally released. That first message I preached to you in this about Mary and Joseph, they gave their full surrender. God, whatever you want, even if it's my body, even if it's my life, you can have everything that I have. Full surrender they're willing to lay down. And so... I really believe that, man, Jerusalem was, uh, yeah, they were, they were probably fine with where they were. They're just probably fine. We're doing okay. We're doing okay. Listen, what does a man profit, the world, uh, profit if he gains the whole world but you lose your soul? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how prosperous your business is if you're a business owner. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your 401k. None of that is worth anything when you die. But your soul has still value. Where will you spend eternity? And I truly believe that Israel here is in this place of complacency where, yeah, we're good, we're good. You know, we're just living under Roman occupation, but they're pretty good to us. We, you know, we come to live with it. We come, we've made our peace with, you know, being oppressed. Come on, man. How many of us spiritually have made our peace with being oppressed? I'm good with being a little depressed. Dude, am I preaching? Are y'all hearing it? I'm okay with being a little in bondage. I'm okay with being a little bit addicted. I'm okay with being a little bit abused. I'm okay with being a little bit, you know, this is tolerable. Man, who the Son has set free is free indeed. We are not supposed to be people of bondage. He came that we would be set free. We should be the most free people on the planet. 
We should be the most delivered people on the planet. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, let's, let's pick it up. He says, uh, uh, verse 4, so Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and asked, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people. Circle shepherd. We're going to come back to that. You'll be the shepherd for my people Israel. All right? So right here, the point that I, I see Scripture making right here is, so he calls for the wise men. Not, not the wise men, his wise men. He calls for the most learned in the scriptures and says, all right, listen, I don't know this. I know this is y'all's business. Where does it say that the Messiah is supposed to be born? None of them go like, well, golly, we don't know. We ain't never heard of that. They knew exactly where he was. This is so powerful. They knew exactly where he was supposed to be born. They had the prophecies. They had the location, the GPS, so to speak. Do you, do you not think that they saw the star? Like, if the, if the wise men saw it from 800 miles away, do you not think that the, that the Jews saw it? My God, they had the word And they had the manifestation of his glory shining in the sky. But nobody from Jerusalem was like, hey man, anybody seen that star out there? I I just believe somebody would notice it. Anybody seen that star? Dude, that star has been up there for three months. Have you seen it? Like, it, it appeared out of nowhere. It's not like there was a star up there and it got brighter. It... It appeared out of nowhere. Like you would think that the leading people in Jerusalem would, the astronomers, the, the scientists of that time, you would think that they would be like, wow. But how many times, I don't mean this to, it, it, it'll just hit you where it hits you, okay? How many times though can the power of God be so thick in a place and there are people that are like, they're numb. They don't sense it at all. They don't sense it at all. Why? Because we can get to a place of complacency. We can get to this place, God forbid, that I ever get to a place where it's like, I see it, but I don't feel it, and I just really don't care. Next. God forbid that I ever get to that place. God forbid that you ever get to that place. And so he calls them. They tell him where he's to be born. And then, verse 7, Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. This this is the original wise men. And he learned from them the the time the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now we both know that was not his motive because what he did later, he killed every child the age of two and below. So we know that when the wise men came on the scene, 
that it was somewhere, I mean, it could have been longer or shorter, but we know it was a time period. So when they saw Jesus, he could have been as much as two years old, all right? And so he's like, go, tell me, man, I want to go worship him too. And verse 9 says, after this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And when they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's where I want to stop. So from these few verses here, there's a couple of things that... I don't know. I could probably leave these out of the message, but I don't want to because I just like talking about them. The star wasn't just some star up in the constellation. This was a supernatural star. It was created for the Son of God. It guided them uh, from the east, all right? But now when they got to Jerusalem, there's, there's some things. Like when they got to Jerusalem, there was a, a, a change in the star, because it guided them to Jerusalem. Now, if the star had been guiding them, why did they even need to go speak to Herod? All right? So they, didn't, they, they shouldn't have even had to do that. But the star got them to the general location of where they were. All right? So it's, it's in the constellations. It's guiding them to where they are. But now, all of a the sudden, they're in the general vicinity. So a king is being born. Where are kings born? In palaces. Kings are born in regal settings. So where, where would you go if you were looking for a king? You go to the palace. You go to Herod's palace. So when they get there, they find out like, hey, you're in the general location, but he's not here. Anybody's GPS ever worked like that? It's like, uh, you know, you've reached your destination. And you're like, you're looking there and it's like, I'm sorry. There's an open field right there. There's nothing there. And it's like, it's right there. And it's like, oh, it meant two blocks further. So they're in the vicinity, but now they go back out and the star is different this time. So now, listen to me. The star is not in the heavens. The star is actually in a lower atmosphere. So the star now is just like, you know, if it's guiding you, we're guided by the stars now. You know what I'm saying? They're up in the atmosphere. They really don't move because they're, they do, but they're so far away from us, they seem stationary. This star moved. The scripture says the star went ahead of them and it stopped, meaning it was going, it was moving, and it stopped. It led them right to where they needed to go. I don't know about y'all, that's just intriguing to me. Um, so as, as it stops where they are, they... They are excited as they enter in and they see Mary and the child. And they fall down and worship him. Now, you understand, like, in, uh, there's certain protocol that if you ever were to meet the Queen of England, or now the King of England, there's certain protocol. You can't just bust up in there like... <laughs> What's up, Chuck? What's up, Charles? How you doing, bro? No, you can't do that. There's protocol. You have to know, like, how close to get, you can, how to shake hands and all, all of that. As a matter of fact, uh, 
American dignitaries do not bow to other dignitaries. And, you know, in China, that's a big thing. Like, you know, they'll, they'll bow. Like, among the dignitaries, uh, our dignitaries, the, the rule of engagement is that American dignitaries do not bow to other dignitaries. Or, I, I'm trying to give you the importance. These are dignitaries that when they come in, you have to understand what they're seeing. Like, they're coming. We thought we were going to find him at the palace. We thought we were going to find him regally, you know, decked out in little kid royal wear. But, man, we're over here at this place, normal house, you know, 777 Bethlehem Lane. They go in the house, and they're dignitaries. And they bow. Dignitaries bow to no one except someone higher than them. I don't know if y'all feel that as powerful as I do. When they walked in and they, they recognized who he was. Listen, how did they recognize him? Like, revelation, revelation. Revelation. The Lord revealed this to them. Like he didn't have he if y'all ever been in any of these big fancy museums over in Europe anywhere and you go and look at these paintings and you got, you know, baby Jesus and he's got a crown on his head, you know, Mary's holding him, he's got a crown on his head uh, as a baby, and he's decked out in royalty and all of this. I don't even know where they got that stuff from. That wasn't what it looked like. I mean, he's in Jerusalem equivalent of Oshkosh Bagosh. He's just in regular kid wear. And they walk in. How did they know? God revealed to him. God revealed to them. This is the one that you've been looking for. So going back to this statement on the screen behind me, what intrigued them? What was it that intrigued them? Because they were reading probably from the book of Micah, which is where that scripture comes from. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Micah, of Judah. For a ruler will come out of you who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. They are quoting Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And so the, the wise men had to have this scripture for them to know the area for, him, for them to go to. What intrigued them about the Messiah? They're Gentiles. They don't know a lot about the, the, uh, the scripture. Remember, Christianity does not exist yet. Are you following me? Christianity does not exist yet. They don't have the good news of the gospel. They have not been told the story. But when they're reading this, I want to read it to you again and point out the one word, the one word that I believe jumps out at them. And you, O Bethlehem, little town of Bethlehem, O little town of Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you're not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my... The what? What? Wait a minute, guys. A ruler? A governor? A king? 
who will be a shepherd? Wait, wait a second. Shepherd, king, king, shepherd, those don't go together. This is what I believe. This word intrigued them. The shepherds came to see a king, but the wise man came to see a shepherd. A shepherd. Out of you, Bethlehem, will arise a king who will shepherd his people. Like, wait, we've never heard of a shepherd king before. We've heard of a tyrant. We've heard of ruthless. We've heard of murderer kings. We've heard of, uh, you know, steal from the poor and take for himself kings. We've never heard of a shepherd king. The Greek word there is poimeno. That's the, that's the verb form of poimain, which we use today as pastor. Pastor and shepherd, same thing. And he's like, wow, out of you, Israel, will arise a king who will be a... Wait, 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 wait. This is, this is a different king. We've never seen this kind of king before. We've never seen a compassionate king like this. We've never seen a, a, one who will shepherd his people. We will never, we, we've never seen one who will look out for his people. How many of us would love to see the people in Washington? Be, will you just be a servant for the people? And they always say that. But, but are you? So what I'm trying to do is show you, like, just like in our time, there's this distrust of politicians. There's this distrust of people in Washington because they, we believe that they're there for themselves because we've seen it so many times. But now a shepherd, a different one, is going to be rising up. A different one is going to be coming to power. And he will be a shepherd, one who is going to love you. One is, who's going to care for you. One that cares about your eternity. One that doesn't want to kill you, but wants to kill himself for you. So that you will be safe. One that, you know, the scripture says, if I was a mother hen, I would gather them under my hen, uh, uh, wings to protect them. One who is always looking out for the best. That's the kind of God that you and I serve. This is, I believe, what intrigued them. As they're reading down through here, another king, book, big whoop. Kings have come and kings have gone. There have been godly kings and, and, and ruthless kings. There have been a change of power throughout the ages. But never have we heard of one who is a shepherd to his people. All of a sudden, we got to go see that one. We have to go see that king. We've got to go lay our eyes on it to see if it's true. I'm just telling you, I don't know how the story would have turned out because all we have is how it really did turn out. But I wonder what it would have looked like if these shepherds had gone to Jerusalem to find the king and he was laid up in the palace in some uh, gilded, gold-encrusted uh, uh, crib with diamonds and studs all over everything? And would they have really felt like, well, this is a king for the people. But when they found him and Mary, and they worshipped him and bowed down before him, they're looking like, this is a king of the people. 
This is not something who's going to live beyond. Listen, I'm just telling you. Our God is the kind of God that he does not want to live in this place. Bear with me. He does not want us to live in this place where he is so high and mighty and above us. Pastor Rife, be careful. You're treading on dangerous ground. No, I'm not. I'm treading on scripture. Scripture says that I'm an heir. I'm a co-heir. I don't know about you, but co means right beside, equal value. I'm a co-heir with Christ. God does, Jesus did not see himself in the scripture tells us. He did not think of his position in heaven as so lofty that he wasn't willing to come down and be one of us. He didn't go, man, I'm going to go slum it for a while, Holy Ghost. I'm going to go slum it with these humans that we created. It's going to be nasty and yucky, and I'm not going to hate every minute of it. I'm telling you what, he loved every minute of it. He loved every minute of it. He loved being with the people. He loved being human. He loved coming and experiencing things just like you and I, you know, and, and, and life experiences. Here's the beauty of our God, the shepherd king, is that he does not consider himself so lofty that he won't come down to our level. And he doesn't see us so pathetic and menial as he does, uh, does that he would raise us to, our, to his level. You know what? Like, man, we are kings and priests. We are kings and priests. Don't live below your means. Don't live below your means spiritually. We have authority. Are you following me? We have an identity in him. We have authority over things in our lives. I'm not preaching you, uh, to you stuff that I do not practice on a regular basis. I'm telling you, over the last few weeks, I've had depression to come upon me, and, they, and, 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 and it's been so strong. And I would wake up, and I'm like, the only time that I really can find solace in that, in that is uh, when I'm asleep. Because I just made this uh, covenant like with the Lord and with sleep. God, when I go to bed, I'm going to bed, and the enemy is not going to keep me restless. I don't sleep a lot, and when I do, I'm going to be asleep. But I'm telling you that demon depression is like as soon as he opens his eyes, I'm waiting. I wish he would wake up. And I'm telling you, when I wake up, as soon as I open my eyes, I feel that presence. I feel it. And this is, this is how I do it. I don't know how you do it, but I'm like, I feel it on me. I feel it overwhelming me, and I feel it overwhelming my thoughts. And I just, I go to the word, and I plead the blood. I plead the word. And I'm like, Jesus, you have to help me. And sometimes I just, now I'm not saying, this is how it works for me. But there are times I just have to keep saying it because the voice is so loud. The voice of depression is so loud. And I will keep saying, Holy Spirit, you have to help me right now. God, you have to help me right now. Father, you have to help me right now. The voice is still loud. The, the, the anxiety, the, everything is still very, very, very loud. And I'll, and I'll get louder if I have to. God, you have to help me. God, you have to help me. God, help me right now. God, deliver me right now. God, I do not have to be fearful about anything and everything with, uh, with prayer and petition. Present my needs to you because I know you care for me, God. You know, so I'll just begin to call scripture out. Until that spirit backs off. Until that spirit backs off. And so, 
I don't even know how I got off on that, but the point being, yeah, the, the, the point being is that, man, our God cares for us. Oh, I know how I got there. I was talking about authority. Because it's like, you don't get to come into my house and invade my privacy. Like, you don't get to attack me when I first wake up. You don't get to attack me like that. And you might try, but I'm not going to lay down and let you run over me. So what do I do? I begin to use the word and I begin to use the authority that I have over my body. This is my body. This is my mind. These are my thoughts. And I begin to take authority over that. So, you know, that's free. I hope it helps somebody. So listen, worship always involves an exchange of gifts. I'm going to start wrapping this up right here. Drew, if you want to come. So worship always involves an exchange of gifts. In 2 Samuel, um, David, King David, he was uh, at the threshing floor. Uh, I forget that guy's name who owned the threshing floor. Anybody remember? It wasn't him. Uh, Anyway, but... (laughs) He's at the threshing floor. That's where they, you know, knead all the, the, the uh, weed into flour and all of that, grind stuff down. Well, he goes and he wants to make a sacrifice to the Lord. The owner of the threshing floor says, listen, you can have this place, king. He's honoring the king. He's like, you can have this because I'm honoring you because you're the king. You can have the oxen. You can have the wagon to build a fire and every, everything you need is right here. King, almighty King David, you can have it. King David said, thanks, but no thanks. He's like, I'm not going to offer up a gift you have paid for for the Lord. What I get, you know, when I, when I think of that, I think of how Shay and I used to send our little kids off to, um, to children's church and go like, hey, baby, here's you some offering. They ain't work for that. Here's you some offering to give, you know, in kids' church. What really meant something is when they gave some of their money, their birthday money, or their little allowance because it was coming from them. I get that picture. David says to the owner of that stuff, he said, I will not give it because you've paid for it. Now, this is what we will do. If you'll let me buy this from you, then you can take that money and give it to God or do whatever you want to with it. But I have now bought this. It's cost me something. And that is a worthy gift for me to give to God. So worship always has this exchange of gifts. And as we were talking this morning in rally, when we rallied all of our volunteers, we were talking about gifts. Sometimes gifts are tangible. You can touch them. Here, I take this and I put it in your hand. And sometimes gifts are intangible things, like a song. That's that's not a tangible thing. It is, I guess, if you put the lyrics on paper, but it's really something we experience. And so when we look at gifts, what were the gifts that the wise men brought? Number one, they brought their faith. Like, I've already shared this with you in other messages in this series. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is that thing that says, I believe, I believe, I believe. I had something happen to me over the past couple of weeks that I haven't had happen in a long time in my spiritual walk. I had the enemy to um, challenge me 
with a thought. And, he's, and, and this is what he said. Now, come on, man. I'm 35 years into full-time ministry. You would think I wouldn't have these thoughts. And I'm not talking about it's just a thought. It was one of those uh, Jesus in the wilderness, the devil pulls up. We're going to have a conversation about Scripture. And he says to Jesus, if you're really the king. Well, he knows he is. If you're really the son of God. So he's talking to him. I had one of those moments where the Lord said, you have spent your whole life doing this. What if none of it is true? Oh, did I say the... Yeah. yeah. Thank you for correcting me. I, I, I said, Lord, I thought, I, but my head, I'm thinking the devil. So the devil says to me, um, what, if, what if you die and there is no heaven and there's no hell? What if you've taught your whole life on this book and this is not true? What if? So I'm like, you know, just having that moment there. And I'm like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it to you guys unless you've experienced that before. But for a moment, you think, whoo, if you're not careful. For a moment, you think, what if it's not? And I just go, I believe. I believe, I believe. See, I, I don't have to believe Jesus was alive and well on planet Earth. That's historical documentation. People outside of biblical writings acknowledge Jesus was a person who lived. Like we, 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 I don't, you don't need any faith to believe Jesus was a person. But I believe he's the son of God. I believe that he was sent. I believe he's the only person on the planet that has ever been born supernaturally without any sexual communion between husband and wife. I believe he's the only person that was divinely incarnate by Holy Spirit. I believe he's the only person that had supernatural blood that because he was untainted through a fatherly line, that his blood was untainted because that's where we get our heritage. That's where we get everything spiritually. That's where we get our generational authority from our Father. His came from Holy Spirit. I believe that in that blood, there's something supernatural. It's not just that it was Jesus' blood. No, it was supernatural blood that had a cleansing agent in it. That had authority to, uh, to cause sins to never have been committed before cast as far as the east is from the west that they're obliterated like literally the sins that I've committed in my life don't exist in the grand scheme of things they don't exist and that's only because of Jesus blood and here's what I believe I believe that I believe that he's coming back again I completely believe that the sky is going to split one day 
Whether I'm on this planet or I've already gone before. If I've gone before, I believe what Paul says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where he says, my brothers and sisters, if you die, if our loved ones die, listen, we don't have to worry about that. We don't mourn like people who have no hope. But we have a hope because our God is going to come back for us at the trumpet sound. There is going to be a great rising up of those who have gone before us in the Lord. And those of us who are alive are going to meet them in the air. And we're going to be forever with the Lord. Like, I believe that. That's what I believe. Because I've given him my faith. I've given my faith like the faith of Job. Where when Job... Everything in his life seemed to just, ugh, it was terrible. Everybody is like, why don't you just desert the Lord? His own wife says, why don't you just go ahead? You're about dead anyway. Curse the Lord and die. The faith of Job, I've partnered with that. And I said, listen, God, if you want to kill me, kill me right now. That's going to be on you. Because though he slay me, Job says, yet I will serve him. That's my kind of faith that I've given to him. My faith is the faith um, of the saints that Jesus, when he looked at Thomas, when Thomas said, I will not believe until I see it with my own two eyes. I will not believe it until I put my hand in his side where the spear was and I put my hand in the holes in his hands where they pierced him. I'm not going to believe until I see that. Now, if you show me that kind of proof. And so Jesus walks into the room, shows him all of that. And he says, Thomas, blessed are you because you've seen, you've seen, you've got empirical proof that I'm here flesh and blood and you've believed blessed are you because you've seen and believed but think about this oh my god this is so powerful Jesus said this in the word now he said it a little different I'm taking a little bit of liberty with it but he said but Thomas there's a guy named Rife Stewart he's not born yet But around 1983, somewhere-ish there, he's going to come to a knowledge of me. He's not going to have the privilege of seeing me like you've seen me. He's more blessed than you are, Thomas, because he's going to believe and he's never going to have seen like you. There's going to come a woman named Betty and she's going she's to believe. She's not going to see like you did, Thomas, but she's going to make that covenant with me. There's one like Gracie who believes. There's one like you, you, uh, Tony, who believes that you haven't seen. There's ones like every person in this room that you believe you've made that commitment, but you haven't seen it. See, we're celebrating it. Every time we come into this room, we're celebrating and we've not seen the risen king. But we will one day. We will one day. Whether we see him while we're on this earth or we're called back from the grave to meet him in the air. Every single one of us is going to see that Jesus that loves us, that shepherd that loves us, the one that they went seeking. We're going to see that king. And listen, he's going to look so different. Probably the best 
right now contemporary idea of what we have is the guy on the chosen. I'm telling you, he's going to look different from that guy. I mean, that's a great representation, and I think they've done a great job, but he's going to look so different. And you and I are going to be able to see him with our own two eyes. So we give him the gift of our faith. God, I believe in you. I believe in you, Jesus. They gave him the gift of sacrifice. The sacrifice was not just in those gifts that they brought, even though those gifts were a part of the sacrifice. But I want you to understand, like, they went on an over 800-mile trip to see the king. They didn't get in, in a jet plane and fly there in a few hours. They didn't get in a Lexus and drive or a motorcade and drive there. They, I mean, let's just play it out like this. On a camel, if you could go 20 miles a day, all right? So 20 miles a day divided by, eight, 800 divided by 20, I think that's like 40. So taking you 40 days, that's like at a minimum. That's, that's if no storms happen. Listen, I don't know if you've ever been in a sandstorm before. I've been in two of them. And it's like when there are sandstorms, you can't, you, you can't do anything but hunker down where you are. It is frightening and terrifying if you've ever been in one. They are terrifying. You cannot see where you are going on the road. And you, the, you're, you're thinking, I, I just need to stop and pull off and pray to God nobody plows into me. Think about the storms that they may have endured. Think about, like in those days, bandits and thieves and every, that so many things that they endured. Think about like they had to leave and all of, anybody ever packed up for a long trip? I'm not talking about a trip that you got to pack suitcases for. I'm talking about a trip you are going where you got to pack something to cook on. You've got to pack something to cook. Figure out a way to keep it from spoiling. I mean, this is what we're talking about. They had to do. There was a lot of sacrifice that went into that. Listen to me, church. It sounds like I'm on a soapbox, but I'm really not. It saddens me that one of the things, as, as I read a lot about church and, you know, the, the workings of the church today, one of the top reasons people stay home on Sundays is if it's raining. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Like, that is one of the number one reasons people will stay home from church and not come to church on a Sunday is what is the weather like? Listen, I'm just telling you, man, sacrifice. We don't know sacrifice. And here's one of the things about our culture. I'm talking about our North American culture. We are so blessed that we don't really know sacrifice. We are so blessed that we don't understand the fact of sacrificing because we have everything so easily at our hands that we can get a hold of. They sacrificed. Their sacrifice part of it led to this next one, financial Listen, worship, this exchange of gifts, it involves finances. They brought to this child, understand, they didn't know where they were going to find him. They thought they would probably find him in the palace. So what's, what's the, the, the number one gift that they would think to bring somebody who is wealthy? A well valued gift you know they're not just going to dollar tree and buying something 
I mean, I'm giving this to a king. So what do they bring him? They bring him part of their wealth. They bring it to the Lord and they submit it to the Lord. I'm telling you what, church. I pray that our church knows the beauty of worshiping financially. So many times when pastors stand up front and they talk about giving, tithes, offerings, those kinds of things. So many times I know that people look at like, well, you know, that's just, you know, of course pastors are going to say that because it's self-serving. I mean, it, ser- it serves the self of, and that's absolutely right. That's what the tithe is for. The tithe that we bring is so that there would be plenty in this house to support what this house needs to make sure ministry happens in this house and going forward. So what did they do? They brought to him financial gifts. And then the last thing was part of their gifts were prophetic. When they bring the gifts of frankincense and myrrh, these are weird and unusual gifts. Any of you guys ever had gifts that it's like, okay, thank you. I've had some of those gifts before. Like, I don't know what they were thinking when they gave this to me. But thank you. When Mary gets these gifts, little baby Jesus, he, you know, he's still a baby. You understand that, right? He, he's not some kind of baby with super knowledge. He's talking like a baby. He's still thinking like a baby. He doesn't know who these guys are. He doesn't know what those gifts are. Gold means as much to him as it does a piece of candy. You know, he, you know kids, they just, everything goes in the mouth. He didn't know what those were. But imagine Mary, she does know. And she's like, okay, so frankincense... I could kind of see that one because frankincense is what's burned in the temple in the Holy of Holies. Hmm. What they were bringing that for is they were not only recognizing him as an earthly king, as, a, as, a, as fully incarnate God, they were recognizing him as the high priest. Like, so here's this prophetic, like, He, hey, Mary, I don't know if you figured out. I know, you remember throughout scripture, it says Mary. Hmm, she just pondered these things in her heart. Not sure if Mary's figured out yet. Do you really realize what he's here for? Do you really realize who he is? Do you know yet, Mary? Mary, did you know? You know, like Mary, do do you yet? Has it dawned on you? Really? Because like she's in that cute little toddler baby stage and she ain't in the, thinking about dying stage but all of a sudden she sees frankincense which is for uh, priests to offer up sacrifices and then they get to the embalming fluid they get to the myrrh. myrrh myrrh was used to prepare bodies for burial that's a weird gift like imagine somebody showing up at your birthday and they got a you know bag of embalming fluid for you that's just weird. Like, I don't, I don't know about that. Like, so they're, they're, they're prophesying through their gifts. Like, God, what I'm giving to you means something. Like, I didn't just, 
Listen, they didn't just, and I know everybody in here has done this at least once in their life. You got to go somewhere. You were invited at the last minute. You do not have a present. Baby, pull off. We're going to pull off somewhere in here, and we're just going to run in there and get a gift. Anybody ever done that? Just me and Shay, you know? Because you don't want to show up any. All right. The wise men, they didn't do this. They didn't go, hey, man, we're going to pick up. We got to get up and go. We got 800 miles to, to go. We'll, we'll find something along the way in one of these little towns. We'll pick something up along the way. They did not do that. Their gifts were methodically thought out. They were thought about, prayed over, and here they go. They've got these gifts. When we come in and we offer up worship, listen, the scripture I read to you, you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. What does all of our heart mean? I'm telling you, it looks like this behind me on the screen. When we come into a house of God and we're ready to worship him, we come with our faith. Man, if we don't have faith, if we don't have faith, what in the world are we doing here? When we come into the house, there ought to be a sacrifice. I believe Pastor Wesley, uh, when I heard him talking about, you know, what is my sacrifice that I can give to God in an offering? There's a financial component. Listen, there's a financial component to my worship. Every, whatever it looks like for you, every time I get paid. Every time Shay gets paid, there's a financial component to that. I immediately, before we do anything, immediately, and this is what I've done since I was 17 years old, immediately my giving goes to the top of the list because I've made that covenant with God. And then lastly, prophetic. When we come into this house, this is the spirit part of in spirit and truth. When we come into this house to worship, guys, listen, so many people go to the house for uh, truth. Now, bear with me, and I'm fixing to close. They come into the house for truth, not necessarily the truth of this word, but knowledge. Like, I'm just coming. I need three points to help my marriage out. I, I, I just need six ways how I could be a better leader. I, just give me four points of how I can improve my finances. Give me seven ways I could raise my kid to be more uh, respectful. You know what I'm saying? So when we come together, there's nothing wrong with looking for those kinds of things out of the Word of God. But when we come into the house of God, we should come into this place and we should come in with a prophetic gift. God, use us in your gifts. Use us in the supernatural gifts. You operate within the supernatural gifts. Listen, our church has put those on the back burner. When I say our church, I'm talking about the, the American church. We put those on the back burner. Those, that stuff weirds people out. Let's just push all of that to the back. You know, we, listen, I'm telling you, anytime God wants to do something prophetic in this house, as long as it lines up with this word, we are going to step back and go, the music can go, the sermon can go, everything can go. If God is doing something prophetically, we are going to make room for that. We're going to make room for that. Always. Because... 
If you are coming to hear something from my wisdom, oh my God, you are in trouble. If you are coming, I'm not trying to dumb us down either. I'm just trying to put it in, in, in perspective for us. If you're coming for me, oh my God. If you're coming for the music, oh, oh my God. If you're coming for the children's ministry, the youth ministry, the media, the presentation, the building. No. If we don't have him in the middle of it moving, we have nothing. We have nothing. Stand to your feet with me. So today, as we leave, our prayer team is going to be down front to pray with you. Um, so if anybody uh, wants to come and you pray over, uh, you know, anything physical, spiritual, financial, or relational, our team is going to be down front to pray with you. I want you to, I want you to ask yourself a couple of things, okay, as we get ready to leave. This is how you can apply this message. Remember, God is seeking those who are seeking him. Like, are you seeking him? Are you seeking him? Because some of y'all are going through stuff right now in your life. And, and, and like uh, me as well. And I'm going, God, where are you? All right. If you're looking for him, what did he say? You'll find me. You'll find me. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to add this to your regular uh, life, uh, I don't know what you call it, but how, how like your life plan or, or uh, add it to your spiritual DNA. Add this question to your times with God. God, where are you? Like, where are you in this chaos? See, God doesn't create chaos, but God will use chaos. And there are times where it's like, God, I don't understand where, why this is happening. Like, where are you? Where are you, God? Show me where you are. Show me, God. Reveal yourself to me. I promise you, God will reveal himself. So what are you going to ask yourself? God, where are you? Why, why is this person mad at me, God? God, where are you in this? What are you doing in the middle of this, God? God, why, why are my finances like this? What is God? God, where are you? What are you speaking to me? God, why is my health? God, where are you? Where's my health? What? Where are you, God? Show me. If you seek him, I promise you he'll show up. And this is the last thing. Get a plan to seek him regularly. I'm not just when you need it. We are great at supplication. We just came out of that whole Acts series. Remember, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We are great with supplication. God, I need you. God, I need you to help me with this. God, I need you here. God, why is it? You know, we're good with going to him to fulfill needs. But we need to get a plan to seek him, not just when we need a handout, but when we want to spend time with him. Regularly in your worship gatherings, small groups, maybe a study that you're doing, a devotional that comes to you every day that God is speaking to you somewhere. Well, I'll remember. No, you won't. I just led a book study that said, hey, ask yourself this question every day when you wake up. And do you know what? I've forgotten to ask myself that question. So how do I fix that? I got post-it notes up to help me remember to ask that question because you will forget. And so if it's like, hey, read your Bible today. 
And I don't want you to get legalistic about it. Like if you miss a day, it's not like anybody's going to hell. You know what I'm saying? But like, dude, if we don't spend time with him, we're never going to know what this word says to us. So my prayer at the beginning of our time today was, God, show yourself in some way in this place today that I didn't know you at that level. So that was my prayer. What is the manifestation of it for you? Like, how has God shown you in this service? Well, Pastor Rife, I don't think I've seen anything yet. God is not hiding from us. Please go out of here if you haven't seen a light bulb go off in you yet. And go, God, I know it's there. Help me see it. It's like that picture, you know, you got to look at it for a few minutes before you, oh, there they are. Go out of this place and ask the Lord, God, where are you? Show me where you were in there. What in that time that we spent on Sunday together as a church family do you want me to see you in a different way? Okay? Let's seek him. I promise you will.